guys. Welcome back to the Legacy Through Motherhood podcast. I am really excited, you guys, about this episode because I am going off script a little bit to talk about something really near and dear to my heart, and that is foster care. If you are a new listener, typically I release a new episode every Monday, and we circle around the topics of faith, finances, health, mindset, and marriage. But today, We are going to do something a little different because a lot of you are actually really intrigued by foster care. Maybe not even in a sense that you want to foster yourselves, but you're just kind of curious on how it all works. And this episode will be for everybody. It will be for people who are really just interested in actually getting into foster care. It will be for people who are just curious and have maybe thought about getting into it one day. And it's also for people who may know foster parents and want to know the best ways to support them. Or this episode might even be helpful if you know somebody who is interested in foster care and just want more information. So feel free to forward this episode on to them. So I am going to cover a lot in a short amount of time. I want you to also keep in mind that I'm speaking from my own experience, from my own agency, and my own county in Ohio. Okay, so numbers or requirements may and probably will differ from wherever you live, unless you live in Butler County, Ohio, okay? If you are local to me and want to grab some coffee and talk, then get in contact with me and we will set something up. And I am so serious about that. I have had many lunches, many phone calls, many whatever about foster care. I absolutely love talking about it because y'all, there is such a need. But first, let me just do kind of, I'm going to do a quick overview of our foster care journey, and I kind of sprinkle it throughout my episodes, so some of you guys know some of the stories already, but I will talk about how we got into it, and then I'm going to talk about just some logistics of getting certified and how to get certified, and then ultimately I will answer some like frequently asked questions at the end and give you guys some resources just to move forward with or if you guys want to look into it deeper. So for Justin and I, we were doing some mission work with our church youth group back in 2017 for an organization that um, supported foster care and foster families, families that were fostering. And it was there that Justin and I really felt convicted to just step into the ministry of foster care. I will say (laughs) that this has been stirring in our hearts for a while at this point, actually adoption is really what had been stirring. And it seemed over the past year that we would hear more and more stories of adoption or all of a sudden every sermon seemed to talk about adoption or orphan care in every single song we sang. It just everything seemed to be screaming adoption, or at least that's what we would hear. And we would be sitting in church and something about orphan care would come up and Justin and I would just look at each other like, dang it. You feeling this too? (laughs) We were both feeling it, but at that time we had three kids and they were under four years old. So obviously we were like, it's just not the right time. Like we have too much going on. But then we went and we served and our eyes were open to the need in our area. Drugs are very prevalent um, in Cincinnati and in Dayton and we're smack dab in the middle of that. And at this point, We genuinely said, well, these kids need a safe home, and we have one of those. And these kids need a family, and we are one of those. And you guys, it was that simple. Obviously, it's it's more complicated than that, but in that moment when we kind of made the decision to lean into this, 
It was that simple. And so we went and served on a Saturday with this organization. And that Monday following, we were in our first of 12 foster care classes that are needed to be certified. So we just jumped right in. We did not even give ourselves a second to, you know, doubt or even really think about it. But we were also very sure about what we wanted to do and that our family wanted to lean into orphan care, but we also had, like I said, a lot of very young kids. So we actually did not tell anyone that we were going to do this because we didn't want anyone to tell us that we were crazy or to discourage us from doing it. So we lined up childcare every single Monday night for 12 weeks and it was mainly family, but no one knew where we were going every Monday night. I think they just thought we were like doing a weekly date night or something. I have no idea. It was not until we were almost certified that we started telling people. And when we did start telling people, the first reaction from people was pretty much what we expected, that we were absolutely nuts, but it's fine. (laughs) It was even more interesting when we got pregnant with our fourth in the middle of this process. So that that was interesting. People, though, finally settled down in... Everyone is very supportive now, and it really isn't, you know, that they weren't ever supportive. It's just this is a new thing in our family and uh, in our community, like our personal community. So I think it just seems like a lot, which it is. But either way, I think that they, our family and friends, just kind of realized that we were a little crazy, and they're just going to hang on for the ride. Like, you guys just do whatever <laughs> whatever you need to do, okay? Because there is no talking us down. And I respect that people thought we were taking on too much, right? And the truth is, is that it is a lot. It really is. But another truth, you guys, simultaneously exists. That kids need a safe place when their entire family structure implodes. We personally are willing to get uncomfortable and inconvenienced to be that safe place. If there is one cause worth getting completely uncomfortable for, it's this, that children belong in families. And you guys, the rest was history. In a year and a half, we have had now five kids come through our home, four of which have been reunified. And the little girl that we have right now has a case plan of adoption. So we will see what happens with that. So if you want to be a foster parent or have interest in it, this next part will be for you. We are going to jump into some logistics of getting licensed. And just a disclaimer, this process is pretty involved just to become a certified foster parent. And not to get dark, but it's important to remember that children without families are the most vulnerable people in the entire world. So people make comments like, it's so annoying that they make it so hard to, you know, to become a foster parent. If they really need so many, like, why do they make it so difficult? Well, you guys, sex trafficking is a thing. And they really, really need to weed out the people that could be using this avenue to get children for something horrible. And so we always kept that in mind when we felt like the process was extensive or, you know, feel like we just filled out the same form 400 times. Like there's, there's a reason for that. Okay. They are trying as best they can to protect these children. So the first requirement as you're getting licensed is 36 hours of training. And our agency actually provided dinner 
usually like pizza and salad and cookies. So that's awesome. You do, or we did, again, I'm speaking my own experience here, guys. Okay. So <laughs> don't hold me to this when your um, agency doesn't give you pizza. All right. But we had to find our own childcare. Typically it was 12 Mondays or whatever evenings for three hours each. Okay. So you did 12 weeks, three hours. That was your 36 hours. There were other options where you can do like two classes each Saturday. So you could do six hours on a Saturday and then you'd only have to do that for six weeks, still 36 hours. Um, and then actually, you guys, we didn't know this at the time, but once we became licensed, we actually got paid for these hours and it was about $10 an hour. So we got direct deposited um, $720 once we were licensed. I don't think you get paid for these classes if you don't get licensed. Like if you maybe go halfway through the process and decide it's not for you. Um, but that was kind of cool. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. Um, we got paid for that. That's that's kind of nice. So it's $10 per person per class. So, or per hour actually. So that was kind of nice. And these classes teach anything from what foster care is, how to take care of kids that have been exposed to trauma, the process of foster care and what that looks like, what placements look like, what your home needs to look like, what role you play specifically as the foster parent. It talks about different types of abuse these kids could have come in contact with and just reasons for kids coming into care. And then once you've completed that 36 hours, you apply to do foster care. And actually, you don't have to finish the training first, you can actually put in your application at any point during those uh, 36 hours, but those hours have to be done and completed before you can move on to the next uh, step. But basically, the application is fairly simple and it's very typical. I mean, you know, list all your normal stuff, your info, your background info, previous addresses, any criminal history you may have, any medical conditions, your income. So, pretty standard, um, just like application for something. And then there is six hours of interviews if you are married or living with somebody. The first two hours are together with you and your spouse. During these interviews, you will talk about your parenting styles, if you even really have one, what the dynamic is in your marriage, how you deal with stress or conflict in your marriage, you talk about times that you have had to deal with something really hard together and how you handled it. They ask you what your support system looks like and what it will look like. And this part of the interview process is pretty simple. I think it's really just to see where you're at and to make sure you have decent communication and that foster care won't drive a huge wedge between the two of you. And then after that, you both do two hours independently of interviews. And this kind of freaks me out at first because I'm like, oh Lord, they're trying to like separate us and pin us against each other and we're going to say something, you know. No, it's not. It's not like that at all. Um, it is basically you sitting with a caseworker talking about your childhood, talking about your relationship with your parents growing up, whether it was good or bad. It doesn't matter. You just be honest. They ask about your relationships with your siblings if you've ever experienced neglect or abuse yourself and talk about, you know, what triggers could possibly come up as you are fostering a child. They ask you, um, how would you, you know, handle having a child who was sexually abused and then have to take them to weekly visits to their family. 
this part is hard, but just be honest. Like, how would you feel? Would you be able to it? Would, would you be able to do it? Would you not? Um, you just talk through that. And then your spouse or husband or whoever will um, go and do two hours again separately. So again, this is not like, what do you think she would say for this? What do you think your spouse would say for this? It's just independently because you're just talking about your childhood and your experiences. So after that, then there is the big home study. And this is where there is a lot of paperwork. You have to get background checked. You have to have like fire inspections. You have to have a checklist um, that they give you and you have to make sure all of these things are compliant in your home. However, I did feel like the majority were pretty practical. Um, Some things were a little over the top, but also kind of understandable. For example, you have to lock up all of your medicine in like a lock box. So, I mean, it's a little weird. You probably, if you're not in foster care, don't have your medicine locked up like that. Um, But that is something that you need to do. So it makes sense, but there's just little things like that that aren't normal. But I mean, having a fire extinguisher under your sink, making sure your fire alarm detector things work, that kind of thing. Okay. It's all pretty simple in my, in my opinion. You also have to get like a medical exam and special paperwork filled out for it. If you have a pet, then you have to have vaccine records for them. And then once you have completed the home study checklist, then the caseworker comes to your house to check everything um, and sign off on everything. And then you're kind of done with that part. (laughs) So then there is a characteristic checklist that you get to fill out. And this part is really interesting, you guys, because a lot of people don't know that this is even a thing. And then honestly, people are like, oh, well, I can do that. Or that makes this better. Or, oh, I can wrap my mind around foster care if I, if I have the ability to do that. So let's talk this through. So you get this huge checklist and there's like 300 things that you get to choose from. And it all pertains to what you will consider taking as a placement and what you will not consider taking as a placement. So you can be incredibly specific. Like if you only want a baby girl under two years old, you can choose that. If you only want boys who are five to 10 years old, you can choose that. If you only want one kid, or maybe you only want two kids or whatever, you can choose that. You can choose to consider, you can choose what race, to consider and not consider. You can choose what allergies to consider and not consider, what disabilities, what ages, what temperaments. You guys, there's literally a list of temperaments that's like happy, sad, <laughs> angry, you know, whatever. And it's like, would you consider a happy baby, a joyful baby? What? And it's like, we'll consider, it's just a little checklist. We'll consider, won't consider. I mean, it gets that specific, okay? Um, you can choose what types of issues the kids have experienced. For example, maybe you would consider a child who has been neglected, but maybe not a child who has been sexually abused. And I mean, you, it goes as deep as you can choose to not consider a family who has, or a child who has parents that have a criminal record. Okay. So you can almost like choose exactly the type of child you want in your home. Now, obviously, The more options you will consider taking into your home, the higher likelihood of a placement. If you are like so, so specific, you're, you're literally never going to get placed. I mean, the, these kids are coming into care because there's trauma. There's something jacked up, right? 
So a good rule of thumb is to find a couple of things that you won't consider. For us, we would not consider end of life care for a terminal child. Okay, we're not that's we're not doing that. Um, we won't do peanut allergies. That to me is very overwhelming. We are not taking in teenagers. Um, we are not doing. We are not optionally taking any child that has a severe disability, and that is just because we already have four children. Now, if we were to adopt a baby at some point, and then you know at three find out her little sweetheart has autism, or you know his his sweetheart has autism, fine, totally fine. We are just not willing to like walk into that. But there are homes that are like that's all they want, right? Um, and they are equipped and like ready for those kids. So just be honest with what you can handle. Um, and then, you know, you'll get a call for that type of child for the most part. Um, and they try to stick to it as, as close as possible. But like we are two and under girl, which I talked about in other episodes why we chose that. But we've gotten calls for boys. <laughs> and we've gotten, we only were in a placement or we only told them that we wanted one child. We've gotten a call for three. So sometimes like we've told them, hey, if you have, you know, a baby and you want to give them to us, but they have a three-year-old older brother that like is just, I don't know, out there, then call us and at least ask like, hey, would you consider keeping them together? Because we didn't want them to just give us the baby and separate a sibling set when maybe we would be open to it. Do you know what I mean? So just have that conversation and relationship with your caseworker. All right, so let's talk about some frequently asked questions when it comes to foster care. And I'm gonna get this first one out of the way right off the bat because it's a question everyone has, but nobody wants to ask it. And it's what do you get paid? Do you get paid and what do you get paid? And I'm gonna tell you, but here's the thing. Um, it's okay to ask. It's hard because people are like, well, I'm not doing it for the money. And do some people do it for the money? Sure. But those people are crazy because, like, it ain't that much money. Um, for where I am at, um, payment is on average about $30 to $33 a day per kid. Now, this is back paid. For our agency, it's paid out the 25th of every month, but it's a month behind. So, for example, if you get a, you know, you get a placement on, I don't know, November 15th, you will get paid for November 15th through the 30th on December 25th. And then on January 25th, you will get paid for the days you had the kids December 1st through December 31st. Okay, so it's like a month delayed. It's almost like a reimbursement program. Now, $30 a day here is a typical day if you were going to choose your for your own kid to go to like an in-home daycare from, you know, I don't know, 8 to 4. But with that, you have to provide all of the food, the diapers, the, um, you know, they obviously are not only here during the day, they are here all night long. You care, doctor's appointments, visits, you do the whole daggone thing for them. Um, but you do get paid to do that. Okay, so what about once you are licensed as a foster parent, are you licensed forever? No, you are licensed for two years. To stay licensed after that two years, you have to have 40 hours of training throughout those two years that you have to keep up with, okay? And again, like I said at the beginning, the kind of nice thing is that for each hour of training, you get 10 bucks. It's not, you know, 
crazy money, but that's it's nice. Um, another question, how long does it take to get a placement once you are licensed? It could be hours or it could be months. And remember, it depends on how picky you are in that characteristic checklist. And placements pick up during August or September typically because kids are back in school and they are actually around more mandatory reporters than they are in the summertime. So that's something else to keep in mind. Another question, can I say no if I get a call for a placement? Yes. So if the agency gets a referral and you are, you know, your name is up to be called and it's a quote unquote match for you, then they will call you and give you as much info as they have. Although you guys, sometimes it's literally just a name and how old they are. Then you can say yes or no, depending on how you feel about the placement. But once you say yes, and this is also interesting or new to people, once you say yes, you don't automatically get them. What happens is your agency submits your name for this child to the county. Now, this child has most likely went out to all the agencies or their name has went out to all the agencies. So other agencies are also calling their foster parents who are a quote unquote match for that child. And they are ultimately sending their yeses into the county as well. This means that you still may not get a child even if you do say yes. If five families were called about this one child and there were five yeses, then the county will look at those families and choose the one they see as the best fit for that specific child. Maybe it's like location, right? It, trying to keep the kid close to family. Maybe it's the same county. Whatever it might be, um, the, the judge will kind of make a choice on what family would be best suited for that child. So what happens then if you don't get the placement? Well, you just go back to waiting. What happens if they call back and say you do get the placement? Then they basically call you back and say that they will be in there within hours, usually. You freak out and you get prepared as much as you possibly can. <laughs> but they come to your house with the babies and they have you sign some papers and then they're on their way. Seriously, it's that quick and you are just left with some kiddos staring at you. And it's a really, really bizarre experience. And trainings, kind of the trainings that you take, teach you what to do once a placement arrives. So that might seem really overwhelming to you. And it is crazy, but I also feel prepared for it um, just through the training that I've gotten. But it's nuts. It's like, here you go. Here's some kids. Sign these papers. And we're out the door. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Hi, how are you, little ones? Okay, a next question that we get a lot is what is respite and how does that work? So respite is basically a break for the foster family. Respite can be used for a multitude of reasons. One, maybe you have a baby who was born addicted and does not sleep at all. And you are so exhausted and you just need to sleep and recharge. You can call your agency and they can set you up with like a 24-hour to 72-hour respite where another certified family will just love on your little one while you get, you know, a second to sleep. Or if you and your family are planning an out-of-state vacation and need someone to watch your foster babies while you're gone, respite has a place there too. If you are a foster parent, you're already respite certified, so you can provide respite when you don't have a placement for other foster families. 
If someone wants to only do respite but not be a full-time foster parent, they can totally do that. Um, And that might be, I don't know, a different episode or maybe a, I don't know, an email that goes out. Um, But it's only 12 hours of training and then there's some background checks that need to happen. It's not nearly as intense as becoming a foster foster parent, but still a little bit of work, obviously. So how do visits with their bio family work. Visits typically are weekly meetups with their biological parents. You typically are responsible for transportation there and back. Visits are typically at a job and family services building for whatever county that they are in. They are typically two hours a week, but for younger ones, they can be up to four to six hours just to really try to help keep that bond between the mom and dad and the baby. If you cannot transport, then the county or the agency should be able to help, but they will probably take some money out of your pay if they need to do that. For us, it was pretty minimal. It was like a dollar every time that they needed to be transported. So not not a huge deal. How long will kids stay in your home? This can literally be hours or years or obviously forever if it goes to adoption. If foster care is anything, it is unpredictable. There is a huge push to keep kids within their biological families in some way, shape, or form. So they may be placed with you, but the county is working like crazy to find any relative that they can give the kids to. So even if the parents aren't capable, they are still working to find an aunt or an uncle or some kind of grandparents or something to take them. If they can find the family, to take the kids, then even if they've been in your home for like a day or two, they're going to still transfer the kids to family. If they cannot, then they will stay with you until the parents work their case plan. I think this is one of the hardest parts of fostering for me, just forever not being in the know. Like, are you going to be here for a day, three weeks, nine months? Like, is my husband going to walk you down the aisle? Like what, what's happening here? Like I, that's the hard part for me. But remember that we just, we step into this inconvenience as adults and take the brunt of that so that these babies don't feel the weight of that as much. Okay, so what about is adoption possible? Yes, you can adopt out of foster care. If a parent does not work their case plan and there is no viable family to take the child, then yes, it can move towards adoption. You still have an option for yes or no here. Some families just want to foster and they don't want to adopt. If you have a kid and their case plan moves to adoption, then just be clear with your caseworkers because there are very wonderful families in the foster care system that have a desire to adopt to adopt if that is needed. Okay, so if you're fostering and the case plan is going to adoption but you don't want to f- adopt, don't freak out. <laughs> they will give you, you know, you there. that's another question. Yes, you want to adopt or no, you don't. And if it's a no, then they will open it back up to other families um, who maybe only want to adopt from foster care. Is it still crazy expensive to adopt if it comes to that? No, it is free. There may be some fees. Again, this is, you know, depending on your county and where you're at. And, uh, but they are minimal. And honestly, we're just not even really there yet. So I don't know all the ins and outs of the adoption process, but I do know that they also pay for medical insurance for foster children until they're 18. 
even if you were to adopt them at like three years old, which is kind of nice because if you are adopting a little one and, you know, big things start to come up, if they were born addicted or whatever, um, and things start coming up, you know, when they're nine or 10, it's like, dang, now this, <laughs> this kid needs all kinds of therapy and whatever. And that, so they're covered medically until they're 18 years old. So that's kind of nice. Um, okay. So what if you have a placement and just cannot keep them at all because of, I don't even know, whatever reason. Well, if you give a give up a kid you are fostering because it's too much or too hard to handle or some other unforeseen circumstance, this is called a disruption. It is very important that you be real with yourselves on what you can handle on the front end because disruptions can be very hard, obviously, on a child that's already experiencing trauma. Disruptions are a last resort, but they are totally a thing. Okay. If you are just overwhelmed, then more regular respite might be needed. However, like I said, if foster care is anything, it's unpredictable. And sometimes we get a placement we thought we could handle to our core. Like we really, really thought we could do it. And then certain behaviors arise that we were unaware of, or maybe we just weren't aware of our own limits because like who, who really is until you're put in that situation. And then a disruption just needs to happen. I will say, though, that the agency we go through was very grace-filled when they trained on disruptions. You keeping a kid that is not right for your family, and I'm not talking like a perfect kid here. I'm talking like totally not a fit because of behavior issues or whatever else. Then there may be another family who is empty nested or maybe has grown children and can spend more time and energy on this specific child. And really a disruption is what's better for the child in the end anyway. So disruption can and is appropriate at times. If you decide to disrupt, it is literally like quitting a job though. You basically say you want to disrupt and then they have 30 days of basically to find another placement for this child. So once you disrupt, you still have them for 30 more days. You still have to continue their care for 30 days before they are removed from your home. This is just so they can find an appropriate family and make sure the next home is a super solid fit so it doesn't happen again. And I'm sure there are emergency disruptions when they need to come and get the kid, like now, if there's some kind of violent behavior or something. But for the run of the mill, just the like, this isn't working out type of disruption, it's a 30 day process. Okay, so lastly, let's transition into some resources that I think are really helpful if you have foster care on your heart or if you are just looking into it and curious or if you know foster parents uh, or you know people who are have an interest in fostering, these are good resources that you could recommend and I will link to all of these in the show notes. But anything from Jason Johnson, I think you can just go to jasonjohnsonblog.com and it has like a link to all of his resources. He's amazing though. Uh, the book Reframing Foster Care by Jason Johnson is wonderful. All in Orphan Care from Jason Johnson. And the last one from him that I love is called The Beauty and Brokenness in Foster Care. 
The other thing that I that um, I love is the Forgotten podcast, and it is all things foster care. And there is a lot of interviews on there from foster parents, foster grandparents, because that's a unique relationship. Um, they interview adults who grew up in the system and whatever else. And the host, Jamie, is just a, just the cutest thing. She's um, very, very sweet, uh, and I just love listening to that podcast. All right, so lastly, I want to give a little more love on respite care really quickly, and then I'm just going to wrap up. So this, like I said before, is for people who have a heart for orphan care but aren't really interested in being full-time foster parents. Or maybe you aren't sure if you want to be a foster parent, but possibly and you just kind of want to test the waters. Respite care is less intense training. Like I said, it's only about 12 hours of training with background checks. And you do have a home study, though I don't think it's as intense as the foster care one. Possibly. I'm not a respite provider, (laughs) so I'm not exactly sure, but I don't think it's as, as intense. And like I said earlier, respite care is basically anywhere from taking a foster child for a couple of hours Uh, up to like two weeks, and that can vary. But the point of respite is really just to provide a break for foster parents. So we may just want a couple hours to run to appointments or whatever, and respite is helpful in that sense. Respite may be needed to just get a break for 24 to 72 hours when it all just seems like it's too much. (laughs) I need to sleep. When we had the seven children in our home and six were under five years old, and the youngest was a three-week-old, and guys, he cried 20 hours a day. I'm not even, I'm not exaggerating. 20 hours a day he was crying. And it was so hard. And we would get respite for an entire weekend for him specifically or all three of them just so that we can sleep and have a break because foster care is demanding. And we are all trying to be in it for the long game because it is beautiful and it is needed. Um, but especially when you are bringing kids in who have experienced trauma, it can get overwhelming. So having an outlet or a consistent respite can be such, such a blessing to give you time to just reset. When we didn't have a placement, we scheduled a weekly 24-hour respite for another foster family who was struggling with a baby going through withdrawal. And so typically, they will try to keep or match a respite family with a couple different families so that these kids begin to build a relationship with that respite family. So when I needed respite, we always reached out to the same family first. And respite is also a blessing when foster families take a vacation. We typically cannot take foster care, um, sorry, foster children across state lines without biological parents' approval, which That doesn't happen very often, but honestly, even if they did give permission, sometimes a vacation just with your core family is needed to just reconnect. So in this case, you could possibly provide respite for, you know, one to two weeks. And there are also cases of emergency respite for when a child gets pulled from a home and they need a place for that kid like now, and they don't have time to like figure out a foster family for them yet. Sometimes you could get a child until a foster family is matched for them. And respite families are so, so needed. You have the same ability to say what you prefer kid-wise, like I talked about with foster care parents when it comes to that characteristic checklist. You also will get those same kind of calls for placement and you have the ability to say yes or no depending on where you're at in life. 
okay? You could say yes to one placement in an entire year. And that is still so, so helpful. Okay, so I think I've covered most of the big things and I know this was a lot of information and probably a little overwhelming, but remember that you can go at your own pace and I just tried to lay it all out there um, because I don't know how many more episodes I would do on foster care. But once you make the decision, agencies are great at just laying like, here's the next step. Here's the next step. Okay, now take this step. And that way you're not feeling totally overwhelmed throughout the whole process. So just continue taking that next best step in this journey. And before long, you could have a sweet little one in your life that you just get to love on. And if you have any other questions, please reach out to me and message me or whatever. My Instagram is legacy underscore through underscore motherhood. And we have a Facebook group so we can connect on a more personal level and continue this conversation and all conversations that we have. Just search for the Legacy Through Motherhood community group with Stephanie Sims and join us on there. My email also for the business is simsarrows at gmail.com. So if you just, you know, want to ask me a couple questions or let me have me shoot you an email, I can do that. Join me next week as we get back into our regular rotation of health and we will be having a conversation surrounding that. And you guys, I am so excited to walk with you and help you find your grit while completely covering you in grace.